This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to live as a person of faith and a culture against faith. Hey man, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm uh, doing well. It's good. It's good. Yep. Spent uh, yesterday with uh, yesterday evening with a a friend of mine, and before that, I got fit for some new golf clubs. So. <laughs> It's a good awesome. day all around. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, well, last night I made a pretty dang good cocktail. Um, that's how I spent my night last night. Nice. Yeah. Um, figured out. So you know how I've been struggling. You guys don't know. Our listeners don't know. Um, but I've been struggling with how to effectively garnish an espresso martini. Um, I remember this because... You were like, I don't want to waste the coffee beans. Yeah, so like how you traditionally would garnish an espresso martini is with coffee beans, like whole coffee beans. That just feels like a waste. Yeah. And so I was struggling. A lot of garnishes are waste. They can be, like, but yeah. I'm I'm one of those people that I want the garnish to be functional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I tried cocoa powder for a little while, and it was working, but it was messing with the froth. But like last night. I was like, you know, I'm going to try to like shave some chocolate over the top. And it was fantastic. Yeah. It added a nice little textural thing to the drink. So I'm I'm pretty, pretty proud of that. Nice. So you got like a chocolate bar and took a knife and actually did strips of shavings? Well, I took my, uh, my peeler. Oh, okay. My Y peeler. Nice. And yeah, it worked. Awesome. And I got like nice little curls. It was a sh- one of those short chocolate bars, so I didn't get like real good curls. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you got fitted for some new clubs. You happy with them? Possibly. Yeah, well, yeah at least right now I am. We'll <laughs> see when they get here. Um, yeah, we'll see. They won't be in probably until January. Yeah. Fair so, enough. well, I guess when this comes out, you know, probably like next week. week yeah. yeah. But for now, we're recording this the week before Christmas. Which, by the way, Merry Christmas. Merry, happy Christmas. Merry New Year. Yeah. Um, we said it yesterday on A Closer Look. Um, we have not done a very good job with lining up our uh, content calendar with the holidays and we apologize. Yeah. Um, so this is coming to y'all late, but Merry Christmas, happy holidays, all the things. That's right. Um, we promise to do better next year and you see that I'm wearing a Christmas sweater. It's because it is the week before Christmas (laughs) when we're recording this. Um, I hate ugly Christmas sweaters, so I don't even own one. Oh man, I saw this. So this is a Texas humor sweater. Oh, okay. Um and you know what Texas humor is clearly. Yeah. Um our listeners if you don't know, Texans are pretty proud of being Texan and so we have a whole social media page dedicated to yeah. it. Yep. <laughs> um and this was one of their merch things that I bought a couple years ago. Got you. Um yeah. Anyways, nice. So today we are continuing our conversation of deconstruction. And if you don't know, I want to give a little bit of a backstory. I realized I didn't do this last week with mm. Adam, but deconstruction actually arose as a theological methodology. And so deconstruction is an element of doing postmodern theology. Mm. And just because of some of the nuances that it does, 
on the more academic side, I won't get into them. Um, it doesn't line up a hundred percent to the way that we talk about it in pop culture. Um, and so just because once again, I know some of our audience is more academic, like they're, uh, you know, pastors and, uh, professors. So I want to let you know, I am aware of that. Yeah. But this is where, this is the podcast where faith and culture intersect. Yeah. And when we talk about deconstruction in that world, it's much more in the societal realm. Yeah. It's much more in the, I'm tearing apart this faith that I was handed. Yeah. And building something new. And I, I used a metaphor last week that when I was going back and editing it, it's a metaphor I commonly use, but in the moment I left out a key piece. And it is that when you're handed a faith, you're given a foundation upon which you build a house. And you build that house, and then as you grow older, you realize like, well, there are some questions that I have that my, that my foundation didn't allow for or didn't have space for. And so now I've got to add on to my house to make space for this new element of the theology that I'm building, that I'm constructing. And we do that over and over and over again until the point that the house becomes dysfunctional. Yeah. It's no longer valuable or efficient to live in that house. Yeah. And so we have to tear it down. But when we tear it down, we don't have to take a wrecking ball to it. We can deconstruct it. We can take it apart. And it doesn't mean that the pieces, the lumber, they can't be repurposed. They can't be used again in the new construction. But it is to say that we have to build a different structure. Yeah. And so I think that's a key piece that I left out was that middle piece that like when we deconstruct, we can still use the pieces that we're taking from the old structure but they've got to be built into a new way. Yeah. Um, well, it's like it's like any renovation, right? You don't want so like you buy a hundred year old house. Um, yeah, it's gonna need some renovation, but there's some yeah. beautiful hundred year old wood in that house that would be a shame if you threw away. Original floors, original old, floorings, absolutely. Original crown moldings. Yeah, it would just be a shame. Yeah, stair banisters, all those types of things. Um, yeah, you want to be able to reuse some of those pieces, but the manner in which they exist now, they're not helpful. They're not wholesome for you. And so you have to take them apart in order, but to still use those pieces to build something new and beautiful that's life giving. And so for me, that's what deconstruction is. Uh, deconstruction is not taking a wrecking ball to it. It's the artistry of taking apart and using the things that I have at my disposal to rebuild something new. Now, a lot of the times that does mean that there are some elements, there's some, some lumber, there's some pieces of what I've deconstructed that I can't use anymore. Yeah. They're rotten. They've been broken. I can't use those anymore. I've got to throw them away. And buy new lumber. I've got to I've got to put something new in to take its place. But by and large, 
a lot of it can and is reused. Yeah. And so I wanted to clarify some of those pieces for our listeners. But today, um, I got to share a little bit of my deconstruction journey last week. We got to hear a lot of Adam's deconstruction journey. Which I haven't heard yet. I'm really excited to hear. Yeah, so once again, if you don't know, we record these in advance. So actually, at the time we're recording this, that episode hasn't come out yet. Mm. So Clayton hasn't heard it. I, I have, so if anything ends up being similar or vastly different, you guys should not think that um, it was intentional. Yeah. Because um, I legit have not heard it yet. Yeah. Um, but so. so with that, you know, we, we've both been through deconstruction and to some extent are always going through deconstruction. I think that's an important piece. Um, and so you got to hear a little bit of my story. I think I'll probably reveal a little bit more today and in some of our further coming episodes, but we want to talk about Clayton's story of deconstruction. So, yeah, I think that's an important, important thing that you said is that we're constantly always going through deconstruction yeah. or at least should be right. Yeah. Um, you like to quote um, the liturgist podcast all the time. Um, if you still believe the same thing you did eight years ago, then that's a unhealthy human development. Yeah. That's Dr. Hillary, Hillary McBride. Yeah. Um, who says that she's a, a psychologist and therapist. Yeah, and, and I think there's a lot of value to that. Um, and so I think if, if we want, really want to start with my deconstruction story, um, I think it really started whenever um, we moved to Corpus Christi. Mm, so, um, so like before some, we get there, um, remember for the metaphor's sake, deconstruction actually begins with the, beginning. the foundation you were given. Yeah. I think there's an element of your story that's really unique um, that we can't yeah. miss. It is. Because um, it, it really did play into your deconstruction quite heavily. And, and still does. Um, because I still think that there is... Well, I'm just going to tell the story. Dang, I never thought I'd be telling this story on a public platform. Um, or have I already? I think you may have already. That's I why I, already I brought did. it up. I think I already did. I think you did it on uh, Pines and Perspectives one night. Oh, uh, you're right. I think I did when we were talking about prophecy. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you didn't hear that episode, my story um, starts pretty young. Um, and I was like eight or nine. Um, and I, I'd been in the church my entire life. Our parents were pastors or youth pastors. Right. Um, and so we, we had, we were in the church every time that the door was open. Um, and I always knew, always knew church, always felt like the church was my place to be. And, um, my role was always going to be in the church to some capacity, but I never really had, um, confirmation of that. And I had always, I had said that since I was like five years old. Um, when I was in kindergarten and my kindergarten teacher asked me to draw a picture of what I wanted to be when I grew up, I drew a pastor standing outside of a church with a steeple holding a Bible in a suit, <laughs> yeah. which kind of tells you where I come from. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I pictured church as with a steeple and I pictured a pastor wearing a suit. Right. Um, that that kind of gives you like a good idea of where I come from. And 
And then so when I was about eight or nine years old, um, I was asleep and I had a dream of me standing up in this attic alone. Um, it was dark and dreary outside. The attic was falling apart. Um, and it, it took me years to kind of figure out what this, what the whole metaphor was. And I'll get to it in a minute. Um, but all of a sudden Jesus appears to me, um, and says that, um, instead of giving exact language, um, that I was going to make major change in some certain areas. Um, I didn't know what to do with that at the time. And then an important part of that piece was that I was going to have to leave first. Um, before I could make change, I would have to leave. <clears throat> and so I didn't know what to, to do with that for a long time. And um, I ended up moving around a lot. Um, and when all that moving around started happening, I was like, oh, this is actually a thing. Like I'm actually leaving. I'm, I'm, this is happening. Like this is yeah. a thing, right? Like I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to think about it. Um, except for, you know, God's doing what he said he was going to do. So anyways, that's, that's really where my story started. Yep. Um, and I think in that actually is where my deconstruction started because what is that? That's prophecy, right? To, in, in the truest sense of the form, in the truest sense of the word, that's prophecy. Yep. Um, at the time, we were in a cessationist tradition, adjacent. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Um, um, our larger tradition may have been our local pastor had, was not. Yeah, he yeah. had been a missionary in Russia and yeah, I think in that's the Ukraine fair. and seen some very supernatural things happen. So he himself was not. Yeah, but our tradition at large was. And and so when when I heard about those higher gifts and things like that, um, and things like that happening, it was always coupled with well, those Pentecostals down the street. Right? Oh like, yeah, yeah. And so I didn't have space. Mm. For yeah. these higher gifts. Um, I didn't know what to think about them. Mm -hmm. And um, honestly, I, I never really thought that that's what that was. Right? I, I, I didn't know. I didn't really create space for it until a lot later. Yeah. Um, and then, long story short, we skip to Corpus Christi. Um, so had been, mo had already moved once. Um, and how old are you for our listeners? Uh, I was 12 when we moved for the first time. No. How old are you at Corpus? At Corpus, I was th 13 when we first moved. Okay. Yep. Um, 13 and a half, almost 14. Um, and then, so we, we started going to this church very different than the church that I grew up in. Um, it was a non-denominational church with Baptist roots. Yeah, so that for our listeners, if you're not if you're not clear on the church market, uh, 
if you're a non-denom church, you're doing something mo- radically different. <laughs> most of the time, you're just Baptist. You're hipster Baptist. Yeah, you're really what you you're are. You're a Baptist that's doing something different. Yeah, you're a Baptist who like is against institutions or something. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Most non-denoms, they're basically Baptist. Most of the time. Um, I have been to some non-denoms that were leaning more towards Assembly of God. Yeah. Um, but w- either way. Um, so we were at this church, and our time at the previous church I didn't hear much language about love and grace and mercy um, and and forgiveness. And, and, and so I kind of had this, while I would say that God was merciful and God was loving, right? I had this idea of God, honestly, at the root that he was angry mm-hmm. um, and that it, my faith was almost kind of works-based, Right. I have to be good or else God is going to punish me. Yeah. So when you say works based, Um, you maybe more better said self-righteous. Yeah, I guess self-righteous. Okay. Um, Yeah. um, Because piety, honestly. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't think, you didn't think grace was earned. No, but you did think that it was quote unquote conditional. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Um, And so, I, I had this construct of God in my head that he was mean, that whatever, right? But I still loved him, still wanted to follow him, still wanted to do for him, which is a strange thing to do. Like, why would you want to follow a God that hates, right? Um, but in my head, I did. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't honestly understand it. And then, but this church talks so much about grace and so much about love and mercy um, and it started me on a path of like, that, that honestly started in a place like, well, you guys talk about grace too much, mm. right? Like you, you guys don't get deep enough. Really? So it was like, uh, you guys are too, sur- too much. Well, like you guys are too surface level. Oh, right. Oh, like, so you got caught up in like the, this is the watered down gospel. Kind yeah. Of thing. Like this okay. is prosperity gospel kind of. Okay. Interesting. Um, I wasn't seeing the value in the grace language. (sighs) And so I I actually had conversations with people in charge about it, Mm. about how I thought that the youth group was too watered down. Um, Anyways, I was there for about two years. And in that time, I grew to find value in the grace language and in, 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 in that kind of narrative that they were pushing. It was more grace than anything else, but I started figuring out like, why is there something wrong with that? Yeah. Um, I do think that there is value to talking about other things. Yeah. Um, and this is where I started kind of trying to get this idea of, well, maybe, maybe God's not angry. Right, maybe God is loving. Um, maybe He is gracious, and He loves me despite being a deplorable human being. Yeah. Um. And then we left there, and we moved again, and we moved to um, back closer to home, um, and we went to a different church. 
that actually set me back in my deconstruction. Um, I went to this church that um, was much like the first church that I went to um, in a lot of ways. Um, and I still love the people who were there um, and speak to some of them on occasion. Um, and so the, it, it has nothing to do with the leadership. They were teaching what they believed. Um, and so I can't speak down on them at all. Um, but I do have to say that I don't feel that it was beneficial for me. Um, because I felt like I eventually became indoctrinated into, um, Calvinistic doctrine. Um, so the five points of Calvinism being total depravity, um, uh, unconditional election, limited atonement, um, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Um, I became indoctrinated into that. Um, or at least I felt I was. Because anytime I had something to say that was differing, um, the people in charge, or not everybody who was in charge, but some of the people would tell me that I was wrong. And then start arguing with me as a 15-year-old. <laughs> Um, and so I, I ended up getting this, like, well, these people who were older than me and smarter than me who have degrees say that this is true. So this must be true. Uh, and there is room for grace in Calvinism, I would say. Would you agree? Um, yeah. So Calvin relied on grace a lot. Yeah. Uh, at least in his writings, but, but. It's in, hard in practice. Yeah. So grace for a Calvinist or a, a uber reformed person is a theological concept that's pretty removed from any pragmatism of the worship experience. Yeah. And so like grace is there, but like it's, but you go back to the limited atonement thing, right? Well, grace is only for the people who God has already elected. Yeah, yeah. Right? So it goes back to the the election thing. Right. Is where it really goes back. And the irresistible grace thing. Yeah. That if God has chosen you, cool. Yeah. But like, what about all the people he didn't choose? Yeah, absolutely. And so grace is, it's it's kind of like an entitled thing. Yeah. And so because it's entitled, because God chose me, I have a level of piety about myself. But at the same point, because I view God as one who can willfully damn people to hell. You automatically end up seeing him. You have to have a rigidity to your faith. Yeah. And which ended up taking me back to where I eventually started. Yeah. Right, this idea of, of, of piety. Yeah. Um, and that God chose me, so I have to be pious. Right? I have yeah. to pray. I have to read my Bible. Um, I have to go to church. And yeah, those are all good things, and you should do all those things. But that's where in Scripture does it say that those things save you? Yeah. Right? Nowhere. What, or that, even quite frankly, that you have to do them. Right. Those are good things, 
but you don't have to do them. It says nowhere in Scripture that you have to do those things. In fact, what Scripture says is that you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and eventually I got to a point, um, I think talking with you a lot, um, and some other people that got me questioning what I was learning there about, about Calvinism, um, about how I was feeling about it and all that stuff. Um, and I started kind of this new path of deconstruction, kind of starting over. It's like deconstruction 2.0. Yeah. And what's funny is there's a 3.0 that we'll get to in a minute. Um, so I started on this path of deconstruction again and then moved again. <laughs> You're going to end up seeing a lot of times that whenever I move, I s- kind of started a new deconstruction journey. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's a weird thing about my life. We moved to Belgium. And, and lived in Belgium for, I lived there for about nine months. And in these nine months, we went to this church called Lighthouse. I still have friends over there. So for our listeners, you were you were 15 at this other church. I was 15 at this other church. How old are you when you moved to I was Belgium? 17. Okay. Um, I was so 17. You spent two years at this yeah. reformed expression of a church. Yeah. And then you move to a church called Lighthouse Church. Yeah. Um, automatically, you can already assume vastly different <laughs> um, just by the name. Yeah, just uh, by the name. I still have friends over there. still talk to them all the time. Um, one of my, who I consider a mentor that I don't talk to as much as I would like to, um, is still there. Um, Pastor Frank, um, he's awesome. Like, incredible. Um, and he and I one night, so he invited me to be on the worship team is where I really started getting plugged in. And I was really kind of like iffy about it because like these guys, they're doing something wildly different than I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Like they were a more charismatic expression. Okay. Um, and so he asked me to be on the worship team. I was not comfortable with it, but I did it anyways. Um, showed up, started playing with them. And then after I started getting comfortable, we started having conversations about theology, him and I. Um, and it just kind of came up that I was a Calvinist. And he goes, so I can see what Calvin is saying, but like, I think he's fundamentally wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, Why? And then he explained why. I can't remember what his explanation was right now, but like he explained why. And I was like, well, maybe I need to think about this again. Yeah. Um, and so I started once again a new place of deconstruction. Um, and this is now where I'm starting to form, I think, my healthy theology, um, where I'm s- closer to where I am now where I'm more balanced in, well, so maybe there's not a place for this Calvinistic idea, but but maybe there is some element of recognizing that there is a place for um, understanding that God chooses us, right? Because he loves us, not handpicks who he saves, but he chooses us because he loves us. He chooses humanity, right? Does it make sense? 
Yeah, I hear you. Um, so there, there's some sort of intertwining piece there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so we move back. I go to a few different other churches, kind of staying in the same place, this like kind of in-between idea of Calvinism and Arminianism and um, this this idea of rigidity and kind of looseness, kind of somewhere moderately placed. Um, and without giving too much details, because it involves other people, um, that I'm not sure that they would want the story told nationwide, or globally, because we are yeah, on global continents yeah. now. Um I ended up going to this other church. Um, was a Catholic church for a couple years, about a year and a half, honestly. Um, but it wasn't a normal Catholic church. Um, they still adhere to Vatican One. Um, so, so detail that out for our listeners because not all of them are going to know that. Yeah, I'm, I was trying to find a, a way to figure that to, to word that. So, Vatican One. So, what what you see in a lot of the movies, like older movies about the Catholic Church, and um, movies that you see, um, like, so like so so take a a movie that's set in the Middle Ages. Um, Vatican one looks much more like that than it does what you know as, as the Roman Catholic church now. Yeah. Um, So Latin mass, um, women have to wear head coverings. Um, very, very different from, from what we see now. Yeah. So theologically actually it ends up being similar. Yeah, so Vatican I and Vatican II are actually councils of the Catholic Church in which the the elite echelon of Catholicism set forth guidelines That's for right. all their churches. Yeah. And Vatican II happens in 1960, mm-hmm. and it's when they moved Mass from being performed in Latin to being performed in the vernacular of wherever you were. Yeah. It also came with a few other reconstructions that yeah. lended itself more towards modernity and some of the things that modernity that were happening with modernity and the Enlightenment. And so with that, a lot of things happened and there was a lot of splits and breakups of the Catholic Church surrounding Vatican I or Vatican II. There was really only one split. Well, let me say... There were a lot of controversies. There was lots of controversies. There's really only one split. There was really only one split at Vatican I, and that is where we get the Society of St. Pius X, um, which was where I ended up going. Um, now, I met a lot of people um, at this church. Um, I'm not going to talk bad about this church or the people in the church because I met a lot of people in the church that I loved. I actually grew to love a lot of them. Um, and one of the head priests, I, I grew to love a lot and respect a lot. Um, but there was a lot about it that caused a lot of controversy in me. Yeah. Um, 
I was currently going through deconstruction when I ended up getting, um, by chance placed in this church. Um, which harmed my deconstruction, I think, because now I have this new idea of, um, of how to receive grace. That's almost that that's Marian, right? I'm getting this idea of, um, the economy of salvation. What's meritorious. It's earned. Well, so it's merit based. Yes. Yes. Um, that's what you meant by that word meritorious yes yeah, yeah. When, when i've heard you say that before i thought you were trying to talk about like mariology and no 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 meritorious so, is, is m-e-r-i-t-o-u-s yeah. meritorious yeah so um, it you earn it um, yeah it's by merit and so whenever i talk about marion i'm talking about like how so if you look at the the hail mary it's hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee yeah right she is kind of in, in Catholic doctrine. She kind of acts as like the treasurer of grace. She holds grace and divvies it out. She's a conduit of grace. Yeah, kind of. Um, and so it, I was getting exposed to this already going through deconstruction and this idea of are already struggling with this idea of piety, right? Where I fall um, and, most Catholics, especially in the SSPX, will not be afraid to tell you that they think that piety is the way to go. Like, they're not shy about it. And yeah. evangelicalism, like, they'll tell you no, right, because our God is gracious, but yet we still live by a standard of piety, um, right? I mean, we say in evangelicalism that that's not true, yeah, but we still live it. <sighs> um. But Catholics aren't shy about it. Well, we still have uh, we have a lot of elements in evangelicalism, specifically more conservative expressions of evangelicalism, where it is run by piety. Right. They just wouldn't call it that, though. Well, they would call it purity. Well, or, no, or something I, similar. I don't. They wouldn't call it piety, and I don't mean this in any way disrespectful, but because they don't know that word. Right. A lot of really conservative evangelicalism is uneducated theologically, whereas Catholics are very rigorous in their Catholic education of their priests. Um, Which is very valuable for for that expression. And so I I think it's functional piety in evangelicalism, but a lot of the times we just don't, we don't, our tradition doesn't have the vocabulary to talk about it in the same terms. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a good way to talk about it. Um, so I'm getting exposed to this idea, already struggling with it, right? That this is the way to go. And it initially, I was really resistant to it. Um, and um, I think that this is where I am today. I'm, you're caught up. I'm still going through deconstruction. Um, because I have now removed myself from that place, but because I was going through deconstruction during that, I'm now having to go back and think, okay, how much have I deconstruction deconstructed and then reconstructed based on what I was exposed to there and how valid is it? Mm. Um, and now I'm, I'm kind of, 
now I think I'm really finding the place where I am today and, and who I want to be and how I feel about God, how I want to express myself. Um, and I think that one thing that did come out of that is I find a lot of value in formal liturgy. Um, I have, I found that I enjoy high mass, Hmm. um, the theology surrounding it. I have learned, I was struggling with the idea of Mary in that way, um, at the time, but honestly, there were multiple times that we were sitting in mass and I would be like, God, is this what you want me to believe? Is this true? Right? What what they're saying, what they believe is is this real? Yeah. It's so vastly different from anything that I'd ever experienced. And I started realizing I was so resistant to it. Yeah. That I wasn't leaving space for God to do work. Mm. And so I was like, God, is this what you want from me? Ultimately, I believe that it wasn't because after I'd removed myself from that situation, we are now here. Yeah. We have a well house. Um, and so if I had left myself there, I wouldn't be sitting right here right now. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, I don't feel like that's where God wanted me. If that's where you are right now, I'm not telling you that, that what you believe is wrong. I'm just telling you that's not where God wanted me. Yeah. And it took me a long time to get there. Because immediately after I had removed myself, uh, I immediately just started having like bad feelings and like resentment towards not Catholicism, but specifically the society of St. Pius X. Um, some things happened there um, that I didn't really go into, um, but there were some times that I felt directly attacked. Um, from the priest in the pulpit. Um, I, I genuinely still to this day believe that he was like talking to me and looking at me when he was saying something that was extremely hurtful. Hmm. Never said my name, but um, he knew some things that were happening yeah. um, and said some really hurtful things that made me want to walk out of a church for the first time that, I'd never walked out of a church before that. Um, and I wanted to, but I never did. Um, and so whenever I removed myself from that culture, I felt disdain and a level of hatred almost. And honestly, I'm not realizing that until right now. <laughs> yeah. um, but I did. I felt a level of hatred um, and that's not healthy. Yeah. Um, so if that's where you are right now, I'm going to, I'm saying right now that you're not wrong. I'm just saying that's not where God wanted me. And if I was still there, I wouldn't be here. Um, and yeah, I guess that's my story. You're caught up. That's my deconstruction story. And I'm still going through it cause I'm still what pieces have I picked up throughout the years from starting where I started with this journey of doing big things 
and the idea of prophecy and the higher gifts to struggling with the idea of grace and all of the steps that I've taken from Calvinism to once again dealing with the idea of grace that then lends itself to the higher gifts once again. Yeah. It, it, it seems like there's been this battle inside of me my entire life about is God gracious and does he bless us in that grace? Right, does he bless us with these gifts in this, in that grace? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, because there's constantly been this battle inside of me about that. So your deconstruction journey has never landed you at a place where you questioned the existence of God? I don't think so. Okay. So that's an important differentiation because deconstruction takes a number of different forms. Yeah. Um, and for you... Like a lot of people, your deconstruction surrounded the character of God. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, deconstruction is does God God exist exist at all? Um, I know in my deconstruction, I had reached a a point where I didn't think that God existed at all. Or maybe I shouldn't say that. I'd reached a point where the only construct I had of God was mean well was a god that i no longer wanted to serve Mm. and so i never well i think in that way when you don't have a construct to put god in Uh, you do question if he even exists but i never questioned for long enough his existence to not pursue a new construct yeah um but I do want to make that point that in your journey, you didn't question God's existence. Um, there were times that I did question um, the prophecy portion. Yeah. Um, like, was I just a kid with a, a incredible imagination having a dream? Yeah. Right. Um, but then I started realizing I can't deny what's actually happening right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that there was a piece of that but I, I don't think i ever questioned the existence of god okay so um, i say all that and we're gonna do we're gonna do a few more weeks on deconstruction because i do think at least with the people that we're that wellhouse is impacting mm-hmm. most of them are or have been through deconstruction deconstruction yeah. and i will say by and large the church doesn't have space for people who go through deconstruction. When I went through deconstruction, I basically did it on my own. Which is incredibly dangerous. Well, it is. Um, luckily, I had a theological education to fall back on. And so I knew enough to know that there were other avenues to pursue. And so I just started reading. Yeah. And that's really, I think, where I fell in love with reading was through deconstruction because I just realized there were a world of other personalities that still fell directly in line with Orthodox Christian faith but were radically different than the faith that I had been given. Yeah, And so 
for the people that are being most impacted at Wellhouse Church, they're all going through have or have been through deconstruction and the church at large doesn't give space for that because deconstruction at its core is questioning it's doubt it's asking questions that we don't always have great answers for um in your journey it seems that you wavered back and forth on how hold do how strong do i hold to the providence of god mm, yeah um yeah a uh, big question for me has always been that just the general idea can god create a rock so big that he can't pick it up yeah right um just fundamentally that's been my struggle my struggle my entire life yeah um yeah wow so with that i think it's helpful to hear different deconstruction stories Absolutely. You'll you'll hear more about mine in the coming weeks. Um, I feel like I've done a little bit here and there with it, but we'll do a bit more. But if you're listening, uh, there are a few things that I want you to know is that Wellhouse is a safe place. Absolutely. For you to wrestle with this. We're not afraid of your questions. Yeah. We have space to let you facilitate those questions and we want to grow it we're we're currently talking as we get feedback from all of you about your deconstruction journeys we're going hey we really need a deconstruction support group um yeah. and i was just having a conversation with someone the other day and i was reminded that there's some really, really, really terrible things that pastors have done mm. in the realm of sexual exploitation of their congregants. Yeah. And if you've been a victim of that, odds are you're going through deconstruction or have been because... And I almost feel like there needs to be a separate support group for that. Yeah, um, maybe, but... It's all a part of deconstruction because absolutely deconstruct. We talked about it last week, but deconstruction most of the time is most of the time people are not deconstructing faith; they're deconstructing the actions of people of faith. Yeah, absolutely. They're they're deconstructing their idea of the people of God. Yeah. Right. And so if that's you and you would like a support group, you would like to, us to put you in contact with some other people that are going through deconstruction to hear their stories and their struggles and where they've landed. That was super helpful for me and mine um, because, like I said, I, I largely went through it by myself. Um, you had me when you went through it. I had you. Adam still had, have you. Yeah. Adam had me when he went through it. Adam had some other resources when he went through it. Um, and you also had Adam in your deconstruction as well. Yeah, so. it was different. Adam hadn't been through deconstruction when I went through it. Mm. Um, and um, we were both so busy and there was some geographical distance between our friendship. Uh, and that we lived in pretty different places. Yeah. I I couldn't rely on Adam in the way that 
I would have liked to, yeah. even if like, even if he, because he hadn't been through deconstruction, he still would have been there and been good. Right. But it just, it wasn't, it never lined up because we were both so busy and doing so many different things. Yeah. Um, I did, I feel like I did have Ben Blackwell. So if you yeah. listen to Pints and Perspectives, you know my mentor and friend Ben, but uh, I did have him, but Ben's quite a bit more conservative than where I landed. Mm -hmm. And so Ben could only be helpful to a point yeah, because he, he was not where I was going. Yeah. Ooh. Um, and you That's know, it, it's hard to, it's hard to go somewhere with someone where you haven't been before and you're also not quite comfortable going there. Yeah. You've, you know, fair. you know that route, you know that road Yeah, and it's not one you're comfortable to go down. Especially if it's one that you like, you have a lot of experience with. Yeah. So like Ben's a, you know, PhD in theology. Yeah. And so mine, I ended at a place that Ben himself couldn't get to. Mm. So he could only go with me so far. Um, and so I largely went through it on my own and I don't want that for anyone. No. Uh, that was not a great thing, but the minute that I began to open up to people close to me, I felt ostracized. Mm. I Ooh. felt I felt like doors were shut, relationships largely ended because I began to have questions and there wasn't space for me to have those questions. And I think I owe you an apology for that because I think I was a part of that group. Um, maybe. Maybe don't you know. don't realize it, but I think I was. Maybe. Um, um, so I'm but deeply sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, so if that's you... I want you to know that deconstruction is not something that we take lightly. No. We know that it's deeply, deeply connected to the core of our beings. And we want that to be a healthy journey for you because I will tell you, more and more the people that I talk to about going through deconstruction, they by and large say that their faith is stronger on this side of it than it was before. Yeah. So I talk to people at least once a week uh, who are going through deconstruction. Yeah. Um, and I don't talk to a whole lot of people who have already been through it. Mm. You are the only person who has already been through it that I talk to One regularly. Adam. And Adam, right? Um, but he and I don't talk about that. He and I talk about social justice issues. Oh, okay, gotcha. Right, being the social work education, he and I don't talk theology. Yeah. Um, and and so I I see how hard it is for a lot of people, and I'm going through it, and I, I see that it's hard for me, but it, it's a different kind of hard for me. Well, you've been given space and capacity to yeah. have that and wrestle. A lot of people haven't. Yeah. Um, and so my goal with these people is to give them that space. Yeah. And so, so and with that, if you just, even if you just want to tell your story, even if you don't want to join a support group yet, if you're not ready for that, if you're not ready to, to join any kind of formal organization, but you just want your story heard, email us, either one of us. 
you have our email addresses. It's in the show notes. Reach out to us on social media. Yeah. Email us. Talk to us, please. I actually beg you. Yeah. Because if you're going through this alone, it's it's a dangerous place for you to be. Um, and it's it's hard for for people to go through alone. You can attest to that. Yeah. You need community, you need support, you need you need people around you that can say, Hey, I love you. Absolutely. And it's okay to have this question. Mm-hmm. It's okay to not understand this element. Um, it's okay to make space for a new understanding of God. Um, and if you don't have a community around us, th- this is one thing I love about uh, Stanley Hauer was. He's a New Testament some people call him a theologian. He's not really a theologian. He's an ethicist. But he says that really the only way that we can understand the narrative of the Bible, and specifically he's given over to narrative theology, which is basically the premise that we make up truth from the experience of the narrative. Mm. And not every narrative tells all truth. But narrative always tells an element of truth. And so for him, narrative theology and the Bible, they're only truly understood in a faith community. So if you're going through deconstruction, you're wrestling with these questions, let us join you. Absolutely. Let us give you that space to know that you're loved and cared for. And that it's okay to ask these questions because we're a community of faith that can guide you through the narrative. Yeah.